All right, I hope you have your Bible. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Galatians again, chapter 6. And we're going to go into a different section of Scripture there. I know it will help you and help you advance in your Christian walk. Galatians chapter 6. I love old people, don't you? (laughs) And I loved them before I got older. In fact, as a pastor, I made it a point to have older people here to minister to us, uh, to preach to us, and to sing to us. I had some younger people, too. But as a younger pastor, I thought it wise to have older preachers and evangelists and singers They have a a wisdom, not that younger people don't. I don't mean to imply that. But most older people have a wisdom from experiences and just uh, living life perspectives that have validated truth. It's one thing to say, oh, I believe that, and another thing to have experienced it and be able to tell stories about it. Even that last chorus we sang, I don't know if you uh, followed the trajectory of the words there, but it's a confession of faith of sorts. God is so good, and uh, you give the gospel. He, He died for me. He rose again. He's coming soon. And Lord, I'll do your will. You're good to me and other things. You answer prayer. And it's repetitive, but it's a confession of our faith of what we believe about God. But it's one thing to say uh, God is good. It's another thing to recount His goodness. It's one thing to say God answers prayer, but it's another thing to say I know that He answers prayer. And so I love to be with with seasoned saints. How's that for another word for older people? Seasoned saints that have been around the block a time or two. They're tested. They're proven. Their character has been strengthened, and there's a maturity about them. Uh, They're not petty people. Uh, They're grateful people. They're patient people. And because of their walk with God, uh, there's a tenderness, and they have an insight about life. Now, all people aren't like that. Some people get older, and they get meaner. They get more bitter. But you can't just, as a younger person, say, when I get older, I'm not going to be like that doesn't come that way. You have to, with, with patience and, and gratitude and, and perspective, receive what God gives you. And then God begins to do a work in your life. And so I hope that as I've gotten older, that I've gotten stronger. Um, and even though sometimes our bodies break down, God gives, does something in us and through us. All of us here, every person under my voice today, you are a debtor. Uh, You owe someone. Uh, In Romans chapter 1 and verse 14, Paul said, uh, I am a debtor. I am a debtor. And what he was saying there is I'm a debtor to give the gospel. Somebody gave the gospel to me. God saved me. I am a debtor to give the gospel to other people. And so we are, we are debtors to what God has done for us. And we're debtors to the people to whom God that, 
God gave the gospel to give to us and that invested us. They gave time. They gave energy. They sacrificed for us. It starts with our parents. And then it goes to other significant others, maybe a, a school teacher. Um, Kelly teaches in the school system, and, and I know that she, her heart is not just in, in the academics, but I know her heart about how she loves her students. I know that firsthand, uh, coaching some of the students that she had in her classes, and to hear her talk about that, she has a, a tremendous influence. Uh, we owe our friends, our mentors, our spiritual leaders, people that have not just loved us, but have, have put some pieces in, into our life. And so we're, we're debtors. And so I, I want you to see that as we go into the message today about um, having the idea of being a debtor. As we look at this principle of the law of the harvest, and one of the aspects of the law of the harvest is you're not just going to reap what you sow, but you're going to reap in proportion to what you sow. And we're going to go back into this, the law that makes you or breaks you. Uh, It can be for your good or for your bad. If you have a good life, it's not by luck. It's because you've sown good seed. You've made good decisions. If you have a rough life, it's because you've made some bad decisions. You've sown some, some bad seed. And you say, well, I'm doing fine, and I'm, I'm not doing right right now. Well, uh, it's, it's your time. It's going to come around, though, because you're going to reap that seed. You cannot sow uh, bad seed and not have a good harvest. But you're going to reap in proportion to what you sow. There's a verse in the Bible. This is a, the law of the harvest, one of the laws. But there's a scripture I just want you to look at by way of reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. And here's what the Bible says. Paul said, but this I say, he which sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he which sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Well, you know, I, I just don't have a lot of friends. Well, he which shows himself friendly, you know, will have friends. Uh, you don't have to be an extrovert, but you do have to uh, be kind to people. You have to love people. And that's on you. If you don't sow seeds of friendship, you're not going to have any friends. It's not because people are unfriendly. It's because you're unfriendly. Uh, I went out to find a friend, and there were no friends there. But I went out to be a friend, and friends are everywhere. You see, it's, it's what you sow. If you sow grumpiness in your family, you're going to reap that one day and probably are reaping that right now. But if you sow a little bit of good, you're going to get a little bit of good. But if you sow a lot of goodwill, you're going to reap a lot of goodwill. And so we're going to look at some of those things. Now, the two keys to, to this law are faith and seizing opportunities. You've got to believe in the law. Now, here's the thing. It's going to work whether you do or not. Whether you believe it or not, you're going to reap what you sow, and you're going to reap in proportion to what you sow. So, But you've got to believe it, because sometimes the harvest doesn't come when you want it to. It comes later. I, I gave a story to you last week about, I think it was last week, about George Mueller, who prayed for people for... I think it was 53 years, prayed for five people. Two of them didn't get saved until after he died. 
but they were an answer to his prayers. God will answer your prayers. But you have to have faith in, in the law of the harvest. And then secondly, to seize the opportunities that God brings your way to, to just sow the seed. To sow the seed. Now there's going to be times in the book of Ecclesiastes it talks about this. When you don't feel like sowing the seed. It doesn't look good. This is not a good opportunity. But, but you sow it anyway. You do right anyway. You invest anyway. Invest and invite. Invest and invite. You invest anyway. You're not going to have a good harvest if you don't invest. You, you serve your spouse anyway. You invest in your kids anyway. You do what's right. Not just from a moral perspective, but from, from what some of you do what's right morally. But, but you don't do right dispositionally. And, and what happens is, is people don't want to be around you even when you're trying to invest what is good. The more opportunities you see, the more seed you will sow. It has to do with your vision. Listen carefully. You need to seize your opportunity. Carpe diem or carpe diem. It's a Latin word which means to seize the opportunity or more literally to pluck the opportunity. To pluck it out. But you can't seize the opportunity if you do not see the opportunity. I'm going to deal with this uh, in the next message. But here's the thing. Some of you have had opportunities this morning since you've been at church, but you didn't seize them. They were right, they were right in front of your eyes, but you, you didn't sow any seed. Sometimes it's, a, it's a, just a small conversation. A dear brother this morning, um, I, I wasn't feeling well this morning, and, and he had no idea. But he, he just came in, he had a conversation with me, and, and he invested in my life. And he invested in me, and he doesn't know. I mean, that harvest had an immediate reaping in my life. He saw something, and he didn't know the conditions, but he sees an opportunity. The more opportunities you see, the more you will seize, and the more seed you will sow. And the more seeds you sow, the more harvest you will reap. Oh, I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Now, this is an old man talking to you today. I want you to get this. You've got to sow seed, but you're not going to sow seed if you don't believe the law of the harvest. And if you don't practice it, if you don't seize the opportunity. Now there's four principles here. Notice in Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You will not make a fool out of him. For whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. We cannot ignore God's principles. You cannot ignore his laws. You cannot change it. You cannot avoid it. You will reap the crop that you've sown. You cannot sow bad seed and reap a good crop. You're not going to sow corn and reap tomatoes. You're not going to do it. Some of you live in a wistful world. 
Well, I I wish I could get promoted, sow seed. Yeah, but I'm doing the right. Keep sowing the seed. Keep sowing the seed. I'm telling you, listen, Matthew 5 talks about going the second mile. This, This is how you sow seed. I've told you this before. In today's culture, just go the first mile. Zig Ziglar said this. The, the second mile is never crowded. The first mile is, no, is not even crowded today. So if you go the second mile, you'll be noticed. Do more than, than is enough. Come early. Stay late. Do a really good job. Don't just do what's expected. Do more than is expected. Sow the seed. Verse 8. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption... But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. There's two types of seed and two types of results. We choose our harvest. If you choose a a spiritual seed, you have an eternal harvest. It's going to last forever. If you choose a corrupt seed, you're going to have a corrupt harvest. It's going to die in your life. It doesn't just mean wickedness. It includes that. But it means things that aren't eternal. Things that are eternal are people and the Bible. Those are the only two things that you can see and touch that will last forever. Invest your life in the Word of God and in people. Those two things will last forever. On the front end of your choices, you determine your future. And so you decide what's important. You give your life to that. Verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. We must understand that reaping requires patience. Because the Bible says we shall reap if we faint not. The Bible says it's easy when you don't believe that to get weary. And not only weary, but then you you, you get faint. The word uh, weary has... To do with not weariness of body, but weary of soul and weary of mind. This is not working. And that's that's the weariness of the mind. And fainting is the weariness of the will. It means to, to release. It means to let go. It means I'm going to let go of the task. The farmer lets go of, of the results. He says, I'm going to quit sowing seed. I'm going to quit. This is the harvest is not coming to pass. Don't focus on your time frame. You keep sowing the seed. Whatever you're discouraged about, don't don't let that keep sowing the seed. And then number four, I want to spend some time on this this morning. We must be attentive to our opportunities to sow. I've already alluded to it. We must be attentive to our opportunities to sow. Verse 10, as we have therefore opportunity Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are the household of faith. As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good. The reason we don't reach more people for Christ is we don't take advantage of the daily opportunities we have to cultivate, to plant, and to reap. If you were outside of your home yesterday, you had opportunities I will promise you that this past week you had opportunities to cultivate, to plant, and to reap. You had opportunities to invest. You had opportunities to invite. And that's why, that's why you don't win people to Christ. 
You don't influence people for the gospel. The reason we don't make long-term impacts with our children is we don't take advantage of the daily opportunities to invest in them. You know, when I was growing up, they, they had this dichotomy. They used to talk about quality time and quantity time. Well, you don't need to spend a lot of time with your kids. Just have, just have quality time, you know. Everybody's busy. Just make sure you have quality time. But here's the thing, that when a, a quality moment comes, it always comes in quantity time. When your child wants to listen or has a question or it's a eureka moment like, wow, this is really an opportunity to make an investment, it almost always, if not always, doesn't come on your agenda. It comes on their agenda. And that means you need to give them blocks of time. As we therefore have opportunity, you need to look for those chances. The reason our marriages stall out and struggle is we don't take advantage of daily opportunities to invest. We just we let things happen. We, we don't make investments. We don't sow seed. And, and this is not a secret. It's just a reality. And I want to speak about the evangelism part, but make application to other areas a little bit today, too. Every Christian can be a more effective witness by taking advantage of present, of present, present opportunities. That's the secret. That's the secret. I remember there's nothing wrong with this. But I remember when I grew up that we had a particular uh, period of time for visitation. For most people, it was on Thursday night. And so Thursday night, we would meet, we would get cards, and we would go out, and you would go visiting. And that was the time you went out witnessing. And in a subtle way, it was like, okay, that kind of, this is the time for evangelism. But but really, it's not limited to that. There's nothing wrong with that to give a focus. I don't mean that. But I think what happened is it, it taught us that, well, what I do the rest of the time, I'm going to give this hour and a half, and then I'm off the hook or whatever. No, I'm, the Bible says to go ye therefore, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. And, and it has the idea of as you're going, as you're going to the grocery store, as you're going to the post office, as you're sitting with your friends at the ball game. Wherever you go, invest and invite. This, this is so simple. I'm embarrassed to say it. But the truth is, is we don't do it because we don't, we don't seize the opportunity because we don't see it. And Galatians 6.10 says, as we have therefore opportunities, let us do good unto all men. And that's one of the key principles there. Verse 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. In due season. And you don't know when that is, so you have to, you just have to take advantage of opportunities. Now here's what's interesting. I taught you this. Let me mention it again. When is due season? You say, well, that's God's season, Ecclesiastes 3. It is. But let me encourage you. This is so good. The word due is not like God 
I'm do this from God. I've been sowing. Okay, I'm do this. That's not, that's not the idea here. The word do means something that is uniquely yours. It is personal. It's private. It's specifically your own in a peculiar way. Now, here's, here's the idea. The Bible says, let us not be weary and well-doing for in, in your season. Your season is different than my season. I think churches have seasons. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we, and as we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men. These verses go together. So here's the question. How do you take advantage of the season? And how do you know when you're in the season? These are good questions. How do I take advantage of it? And how do I know when I'm in a season? Well, there's a word in verse 10 that's really important. Look at verse 10 again. As we have therefore opportunity, the word therefore. Basic Bible study teaches you that the word therefore is a contextual word and is building on what has already been given. In other words, you can quote verse 10, but you can't understand verse 10 without knowing what has gone before. It's a contextual idea. If, if I just got up and Daniel said, Rick, Rick has an announcement to make. And I said, therefore, you would say, what? What is he talking about? Is he talking about what Daniel just said? It had no relevance to what he just said. So as we have therefore opportunity, opportunity what? Well, it goes back to verse 9. And let us not be weary and well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not in your season. Now, two times he uses the word well-doing. Verse 9, well-doing. And then the idea is there in verse 10. Let us do good. Now, I want to give you a definition. Then I'm going to give you some, some practice here. The dictionary defines opportunity this way. A set of circumstances that make it possible to do something. It's a favorable time. You know, I had this opportunity, uh, or, or the football team had had a, a opportunity to do something. It was a favorable time. I was sharing this with Paula last night that that the word opportunity comes from a Latin word. Now, get this: it means to approach a port with a favorable wind. So, so you're you're going, coming to your destination, but it's not all of a sudden. There's a gust, and, and you're getting there faster, easier. So here's the idea of an opportunity. It's not just, okay, I have this chance. It's that I have assistance. Now, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He will stir you about your opportunities if you're listening to him. He gives you moments, occasions, openings, times. And God will, God will prompt you. And he was, this is an opportunity. But you have to listen to him. This is an opportunity for you to invest. It's an opportunity for you to invite. These are two words that need to be a part, not just of your vocabulary, but of your heart. You need to do this all the time. Invest and invite. It ought to be your lifestyle, not just, okay, the church. No, 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 no. 
This is about being a successful Christian. You see, you're either a giver or a taker. And takers are never investors. They're always receivers. Invest, invite, give, and and offer. Invest and invite, just all the time, all the time. Now, there is a gospel way you do that, inviting people to salvation, investing in people that need to be saved, but then there are practical ways. You, you, you invest in your marriage, invest in your children, invest in your friends, invest in your church, invest in, in, in the people at work. Invest, invest, invest. And then invite them. Not, not for your advantage, but for them. That's manipulation. But for them, for their sake, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. Now I want to give you two motivators to, to seize the opportunity. And, and I hope this will help you. The first motivator for seizing and identifying an opportunity is the brevity of life. Just knowing that life is short. Now I'll tell you this, that... Uh, most people don't realize this until they get older. I mean, last week I had a a friend uh, that died that was on a football team in high school. And, um, you, and you get my age, you start having people that, that pass away. It makes you think. But because of the way my life has kind of uh, ramped out from the time that I was a boy... I experienced a lot of death. I went to a lot of funerals. And I've come to realize that, that a lot of people, well, really a lot of people, I'm not going to say the majority, but a lot of people, that's not true. And that's probably a good thing, maybe. But I remember going to funerals with my mom and dad as a little boy and people that I knew and, and grandparents and etc. And I became... Uh, aware of the brevity of life. I, I read something uh, recently, and I, I sent it to one of my kids. I'm going to send it to him later, to all of my kids. But it's just a few paragraphs. Will you listen to this? This is very sober. I'm just going to tell you up front. This is sober. It's called How to Cherish a Life. And it was in a, in a little article, but I, I pulled this from the article, How to Cherish Life. And before I tell you this, what I'm going to read to you, a lot of people say, I don't want to live that way. Well, I'm going to take, well, you're not going to cherish life. You're not going to invest, you're going to invite, because you don't live this way. Because you don't understand that life is short. And you're going to lose somebody. And you're going to wish you'd listen to me this morning. Your kid's going to graduate from high school. Your best friend's going to move away. You're going to say, I wish I'd listened to my pastor. Because what he said was right. Now listen to this little reading here. It's not long. When life changes, you will probably miss the way it was. You may miss those long morning drives or walks to the office or those hectic family gatherings. You may miss them because those moments are finite. You will only travel those streets and see those people a certain amount of times. Every time you do something, that is one less time you do it. 
One day you will do something the final time, and you will rarely know when that day comes. For all you know, today might be the last time you walk in a particular neighborhood. Or it might be the last time you smile at a particular person. To think otherwise would be foolish. Nothing is guaranteed except this moment. Your only real choice is to cherish every exchange like it is your last. Because it very well might be. Therefore, the best way to cherish life is to remind yourself of life's impermanence. It is to remember that every time you see someone, that is one less time you see them. It is to remember that every time you go somewhere, that is one less time you visit. By doing this, you naturally slow down, almost like a reflex, you start to truly live. My sister and I had this conversation when, when she got cancer, and, and it was stage four uh, cancer, and, and how that, that strangely, that can be a gift. And it becomes a gift in this way. Now, there's a lot of ways it's not a gift, but it becomes a gift in this respect, is that you, you begin to count your days... And, and life takes on a, a new, things come into clarity. You begin to see things. You begin to appreciate people. Uh, your gratitude increases. Your love deepens. And we used to talk about that some. The Bible speaks often about the topic of time. Psalm 90 and verse 12. Moses said, teach us to number our days. We number our years. God says to count a lot your days. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice in it and be glad in it. Teach us to number our days. Give us this day our daily bread. Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. This is the word of God. When you live this way, there is a wisdom that you have. There's an insight that you have. And one of it, aspects of it, is you begin to make more investments, powerful investments. You begin to invite more. Well, I'll do that next time. There may not be a next time. They may not be here. You may be here. They may not be here. John 9, 4, this is one of my life verses. I have four now. I used to have three, but I have four now. This is one of them. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Opportunities will be over. And it's my job to do the works of him. I can't do everything, but I'm going to do the work of God. What he has sent me for. What is God's assignment? But night is coming. Death is coming. Decay is coming. Fatigue is coming. Opportunities are diminishing. Your body gets tired. You can't do what you used to do. Those of you that have energy, you know, it's sad that you don't get this 
this mindset, and that's why I get these older people in here. And if you're younger, listen, listen to this. I must work through, I must work the works of him that sent me while this day. The night is coming when no man can work. Invest and invite. Jesus said in John twelve thirty five, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have light. It's just here a little while. Just a little while. Life is short. The wise man Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. What has God put into your hand? What assignment has he given? And there's an overall task for your life, but what is the peace he's given you today? Do it with all of your heart. Do it with your focus. Invest in that assignment. For there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave. When you die, and we all have the sentence of death in us, we're all in the process of dying. The word device there means no, no clever plans, no, no clever ideas. Unless Jesus comes, listen, we're terminal. We all have a shelf life. The good, the good news is we're going to go to heaven one day. What a day that will be. But we're going to stand before Jesus and give an account for what we've done with the, our investing and our inviting. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 1. The Bible says, Boast thy, not thyself of tomorrow. For thou, look at this, thou knowest not what a year, I'm misquoting it, may bring forth. You don't know what's going to happen in a day. Those of us that are older, we've got the phone calls. Did you hear? Come to the hospital quickly. Now, he's not forbidding planning. You need to plan, but your plans need to be flexible. And what he's saying here is you need to, you need to live in the moment. Make your plans, but live in the moment. And don't boast yourself of tomorrow. James 4.14, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? And he answers the question, it's a vapor. It appears for a little time, a moment, and it's gone compared with eternity. We, we've got just a little tiny span to get, this, to get this done. My opportunities are precious. Your opportunities are precious. One day your children are going to be gone. Now, I know this is not attractive preaching. One day your spouse is going to be gone. One day your friends in the church are going to be gone. They may not die. They're going to move away. I don't get to see my grandkids in Houston very often. I don't get to see my daughter and my son-in-law in Houston hardly ever. I have a son in Chattanooga and has two children a hundred miles away, and I rarely get to see them hardly once a month. Now, I don't say that in a complaining way. I'm saying that, listen, this is real. And he's speaking of eternity here. 
One of my favorite poems really deals with this on, uh, in a practical way. I want to read this to you. It was written by a pastor, and his son had just gotten married the week before. And he says it was a week after my son had gotten married, and it was easy to cry. It was difficult to go into his room, but it was also difficult not to go into his room. And sitting at his desk, I wrote this poem as I remembered and remembered and remembered. And the name of this poem is, He Got Married Last Week. At last, his room is neat and clean. No clothes are on the floor. The penance gone from off the wall. No marks are on the door. The messy bed is finally made. The carpet's clean now, too. For once, the closet doors close. No underwear's in view. Bath water now is seldom cold. I never have to wait. No dirty rings around the tub. The towels are clean and straight. I'm never wakened by the sounds of bouncing basketballs. They never fray my lonesome nerves by hitting on the walls. No fevered brow now mars my rest or midnight sickly groan. No fighting for the one sport page. They had newspapers back then. No, Dad, can I have a loan? No baseball shatters our window panes. No base paths mar our grass. The car top never gets a dent from a wayward forward pass. No heel prints run along our walls. No, Dad, I need the car. No more because he is not in yet. Do I leave the door ajar? The water pitcher is always full. The bathroom floor is not wet. And when I want a piece of bread, the hills, not all I get. I think the floor is lonesome, though it never has been bare. The chairs are homesick now, it seems, for dirty underwear. The towels aren't happy being straight. The bathtub wants some rings. The floor is sorry, saddened by the silence cleanness brings. The bed is lonesome for the guy who kept it such a mess. Because when it's smooth and all dressed up, it cannot seem to rest. I'm getting mighty nervous now, just waiting for the noise of basketballs thrown against the house by him and all the boys. And how about his dad, the guy he used to fleece? I've learned a truth I've never known. The heel is my favorite piece. You see, when you get older or when you go through loss, you get a perspective. And may I suggest that you listen to people that are older or gone through some things and say, hey, this is probably what you'll experience. And you're going to thank God for the things you used to complain about. Brevity is a motivator for seizing and identifying opportunities. Man, life is short. It's so short. The second brevity is is a condition of the heart. Or the second motivator for seizing opportunities is a condition of the heart. You know, we all resist the Holy Spirit. 
But if you're here today and you're lost, and you're not a Christian, every time you resist the Holy Spirit, His voice gets quieter. And by the way, he, he, He doesn't shout. But it's not so much that he speaks quieter. It's that your, your spiritual senses are diminished. You can't hear him as well. And your heart gets harder and you can't hear him. We lived on Marguerite Drive. If you know where the old Butler High School was, there's a church there now. And we lived two streets away. Well, up under the interstate, the overpass there, uh, on Jordan Lane, there's a there's a train track under there. Some of you know where that is. Well, that train track is about 120 yards from where uh, our house was, maybe 100 yards even. And um, it would always come right around midnight. And I remember the first time I moved there. We moved there when I, I was about five. Hoss was born. And we stayed there. We had two bedrooms. Mom and Dad had one. Melanie and I shared a bedroom. Then Hoss came along. And then about about six years old, maybe, uh, we moved. We needed another place to go. And I remember the first night that train came came busting through, and the windows were, were vibrating a little bit. And I thought, wow, what is that? And I figured it out, heard the train horn, and and heard the, the whistle, and felt it, and you could hear hear it, man. You could hear it chugging by. Um, and then for a while, I'd hear that thing. And then one night, it came by, and I thought, okay, that's just, listen, that's just the train. And then I was able to go to sleep. And then there came a time when the train came by, and it didn't wake me up. And it never woke me up again. And there may be somebody here that has heard the gospel so many times. And you're lost. You may be a lost church member. You say, I'll get saved tomorrow. I'll trust Jesus tomorrow. And you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You say, I'll do that tomorrow. But every time the Spirit of God speaks to you, His voice gets quieter. But it's not His voice. It's a condition of your heart. It's like this. It's like if you get a pair of shoes and at first uh, they're, they're too tight and on the back of your heel there's a blister and it, it aggravates you and it's tender and, and you put stuff on it at night and every time, wow, that, that irritates me. It's like the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Well, then after a week or two, the, the, the blister turns into a callus. And the more you wear it, the callus thickens and it doesn't hurt you anymore. You literally can take a, a needle and put it in there because there's, there's no nerve endings in it. And initially you come to church and your heart is stirred and, and you say, I need to do something about that. But you've resisted the Spirit of God so much that there's a callus there. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 6, Seek ye the Lord while, while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Don't, don't assume. Don't assume he's going to come back and talk to you. Don't assume that you'll be able to respond. The Bible says in John chapter 12 and verse 36, While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be the children of light. 
These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2, the Bible says, For I have said, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored. That's an old English word. It means help thee. I have come to you. I've helped you. I've saved you. Behold, now watch this. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. It's today. It's now. Don't put it off until tomorrow. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3. Before God sent the flood, the Bible says, God says, uh, He said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. Do not assume upon the convicting work of the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 1. Listen to this. In Proverbs 29 and verse 1. He that being often reproved, the Holy Spirit of God begins to reprove your conscience, reprove your heart. Listen. Often reprove, hardeneth his neck. You know what that's, that's the idea of being stubborn. Just bowing up, being stubborn. My neck is hard and obstinate. Shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Now what does that mean without remedy? It means without a cure. It means there's no hope. God has spoken to you over and over and over and over again. But the condition of your heart is such that you're not responding. Well, one day one day I will. One day when we have a, a better preacher, I will. Listen, the truth is the same. And if it requires someone that's more dynamic and you're not responding to... One of the most dangerous things to do is be exposed to the truth over and over and over again. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 6, In the morning sow thy seed. This is about investing and inviting. Listen. In the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, withhold not your hand. Don't say, I'm not going to sow. Listen, there, there are hearts that need the gospel. Life is short. Thou knowest not whether shall prosper in the morning or the evening. Or, or who's going to listen? Either this or that, or whether they both alike shall be good. Galatians 6.10, as we there have therefore opportunity... As we therefore have opportunity. God wants to bring a harvest. But you must take advantage of your opportunity. You must seize the opportunity. But you will not seize that which you do not see. And some of you precious people, you're just floating along. And you do not understand that life is short. You know, I've had, I've experienced a lot of death, but this is my life. Spending time in funeral homes, being with people identifying bodies, going to the hospital, being with people in their dying moments. This is my life. I'm not speaking to you because I read it in a book. And it has not hardened me, it has tenderized me. So I, I, I don't take things for granted. I don't want you to. Sow your seed today. Invest today. 
Invite today. Seize the opportunity. See it today. Receive the seed today. If your heart is hard and and you hear God's voice today, respond to it. Open your heart today. Two questions. Is there someone that needs you to invest in them? I will answer that to you. And yes, and it's not someone. There are many people. They need you. They need the gospel. There are people that will not receive the gospel from me, but they will from you. Oh, would you give it to them? Would you invest in them? Some of you have children. They're they're waiting on you. Some of you have, have friends, and they're waiting on you to invest in them, to pray for them, to help them. And then are you saved? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that you're saved? You can know that you're saved. There's a song John W. Peterson wrote years ago. We haven't done it here in a long time. And the words are very powerful. The title of the song is, Someday You'll Hear God's Final Call to You. Someday you'll hear God's final call to you. Don't harden your heart. He that being often reproved hardened his neck. And the Bible says that God will come to you and that person will be destroyed without remedy, without a cure. There's no hope. Pastor, are you you trying to scare me? Yes. Yes. Because this is truth. I want you to bow your head with me.